And so I wanted to just continue this week looking at the life of Moses. And, you know, Moses was a great man of God, but yet, you know, he's, he's an example of, of, of truths that God wants to work in his church in the last days. And so I wanted to look at a, a few more truths this week and just, you know, see how they can apply to the people of God because it, you know, the, there's an application to, I think, to every believer who's called to be a king and a priest and enter into the promises of God and the inheritance. And so I, perhaps we can see some little nuggets from his life. Uh, but last week, we looked at how Moses met God at the burning bush. And, you know, we saw the hunger and thirst in his, in his heart for the ways of God, for meeting God and, and how the, the power of the fire of God was at work to consume and set free. And then finally, the holiness of God. You know, how we're, we're to become holy vessels set apart for the master's work. You know, but through these experiences, we become that shining and burning light to set others aflame. But now I want to progress a bit, still at the burning bush, but I wanted to to look at part of that divine conversation between uh, the Lord and Moses. You know, it's a very remarkable uh, conversation. But it's one where Moses asks a question of the Lord because he knows the people he's about to be sent to. He knows their heart. He knows what they're going to say, and he's anticipating it. Right? And so when God told Moses he's going to send them, his response was this. In Exodus 4 and verse 1, said, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me. You know, you're going to send me and I'll tell them you sent me, but they're, they're not going to believe me. They won't hearken to my voice and they'll say the Lord has not appeared to you. You know, and so Moses, he didn't want to go with just words. He knew that words alone wouldn't be enough. That, you know, that the people would fear standing up to Pharaoh and and to do what was involved in, in getting the victory. And so their response would be, well, we're not certain the Lord really appeared to you. You know, how, you're going to have to show us some proof. And so God said, well, I'm going to allow you to demonstrate my power in three ways. And, you know, I wanted to look at these three demonstrations or, or signs of the power of God and how God used that to open the hearts of his people. And perhaps we can see some, just some applications for how God would, wants to move in his people in the last days and how we can become candidates for the power of God and you know, to be a part of that Moses company that demonstrates his power. But the first thing that the Lord told Moses to do is he said, Moses, you have a rod in your hand, cast it down. And uh, I don't know if it was to Moses' surprise or shock. I mean, he was kind of shocked that the rod that he was using, you know, previously to take care of the sheep and direct them and so forth, he cast it on the ground, it became a serpent, right? And we know that a serpent, and he was very aware that the serpent was the, the symbol of Egypt. You know, it was a symbol of Pharaoh and so it, here it is, it took to, uh, it, there were, his rod was transformed into a snake. 
And then, then not only that, the Lord says, okay, Moses, reach down and grab that snake. I don't know about you, if, if, if you would have to pause for a moment to work up the courage to reach down and pick up a serpent. I don't know if it was a cobra or what it was, but that would take a little courage and some boldness. Right? But he did that. He reached down, he grabbed that snake, trusting that it wouldn't turn around and bite him, but you know, he grabbed it and it turned back into a rod. And you know, that was to be a message that God was going to give Moses authority, not just in the eyes of the people of God, but he's going to give him authority over Pharaoh and over his kingdom. And really, it was, it was that sense that he was going to give Moses authority over the kingdom of darkness to have power to fight. And, you know, for, for uh, New Testament believers, you know, God wants to bring us to that position where we have power to fight our spiritual battles and to defeat our enemies. He wants to give us and bring us into that place of, of spiritual authority. And, you know, I, I've actually been considering that question for a little bit is, is how do we come into that place of authority? Because it's one thing to say, you know, Jesus is one and so I'm claiming that authority, but how, how do many of us know that sometimes we come to fight our spiritual battles and <laughs> they don't, the, the, our enemies don't always listen to our words or don't always respond the way we want them to. You know, even when we say, the Lord rebuke you, he's not rebuked like we'd like him to be and flee away in that sense, like we still have opposition that we still have to fight and battle. And, you know, there's a place of authority God wants to bring us into as believers that I want to just consider where he empowers us to defeat our enemies. You know, really, that's a large part of our vision. When we say we have a vision for spiritual Mount Zion, you know, it's actually, it's a vision of ruling and reigning with Christ. And a part of that description that Christ gives us, he says, I'm going to give you authority over the nations. You see, that's a, that's a position that he wants to bring us into. I'm going to give you authority as to rule and reign. You know, and, and that's why I, I wanted to look at that in this, in this concept, right? We know that in the millennium, believers, those who have overcome Right. And who, they will rule and reign with Christ and they'll be appointed, you know, over nations, over cities, over, you know, the 12 tribes and so forth as, as the apostles are given that, that place. But it's that thought of coming in to authority and that position. I think one of the greatest lessons that's given to us in the New Testament or examples, you could say, is when a centurion sent to Jesus and he sent that message, and he actually sent it to the Jewish authorities because they really respected him because he had helped uh, Jewish people. And so here's this Gentile centurion, and he has a sick servant. So he sends a message to Jesus, would you come and would you heal my servant? And in Luke 7 and verse 8, he also says to Jesus, you know, I, I, or at one point he says, you don't even need to come. You just need to speak it. And he gives this reasoning in Luke 7, verse 8. He says, for I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. You know, so he's a man under authority, 
but he also has authority. And so he can say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when, he heard, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. That's a pretty remarkable statement for Jesus to say, here he is in Israel, and, and he's, you know, he sees in the spiritual realm you know, who has what faith in their heart, and it's this Gentile who has the greatest amount of faith he's found. And so it's a picture of this centurion, and he's a man of great authority, and he, he knows very well that if he tells his soldiers or his servants to go and do something, they go. But he starts off with a very important statement. It says, for I, I am also a man under authority. And that was the key. He knew what it meant. He knew what true authority was. He, you know, that he knew what it was to just speak a word. You know, he had learned, but he had also learned to submit to authority. He had come up in the ranks. He knew what it was like to lead because he knew what it was like to follow and to be led. And he knew what it was to flow with authority. And because of that, he could be a man of authority. And, and also because of that, he recognized the authority of Christ. He, he knew Christ was a man of power, of the power of God. And, you know, with, with that authority comes the ability to, you know, to carry out what is said. And, and so he said, you just speak the word. And I know you, you have the authority that it'll be done in, in the kingdom of your father. And so it was a Gentile that recognized the authority of Christ because he was also a man under authority. And, you know, we can have, uh, you know, as believers, we can have gifts and, you know, experience the power of God. But, you know, if we're not fully submitted to the plan of God, if we're not fully under that, under the authority of his will and his guiding and the leading of his spirit, really then we just become more of an instrument or a tool in the hands of the master. You know, but the thing about that is that tool can then be put aside because it can't flow with the authority. You know, it's put aside and it made room for those who can be under the authority. You know, and, and that's why Jesus said to his disciples, right, when they had returned, he'd sent them out and he, he empowered them to, to have authority over darkness and the demons and to cast them out. And they came back rejoicing because they experienced power. And they were like, ooh, this was, this was amazing. You know, the demons were fleeing when we spoke to them. But, you know, Jesus said this in Luke 10 and verse 20. He said, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see, there were some there that were under the authority of Christ. And so Jesus was, and of course, there, we know that there was one that was not, right? That was Judas. His name was not going to be written in heaven. And so they had to, you know, recognize that, there, you know, there's something that matters more than just 
having power over demons and such, and that kind of authority in the kingdom of God. It's the authority that comes from submitting to Christ. You know, of course, the faithful ones, the other disciples who submitted, they flowed with the plan of the master. The promise is that they would sit on thrones and they would have that true authority, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And, you know, and so it's, it's that authority that God wants to, to bring us into. You know, there's a, a parable of the, that Jesus shared, the parable of the talents, and he spoke to the faithful servants. And he said this in Matthew 25, 21. It says, His Lord said unto him, unto, this is one of the faithful ones, Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful under, over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You know, this authority or this, this thought is, you know, you can't earn, you can't buy or conquer or obtain authority in God's kingdom. It can only be granted. And who does he grant it to? He grants it to those who have been faithful. You know, those who have been faithful, even in the, in the little things, you know, in the small things. And so, you know, he grants it. He grants authority to his people to do his will. And of course, he grants it for a purpose too. It's not just a reward for those who, you know, did a good job. He says, okay, I'm going to give you authority as a reward, but it's, it's because I have a job for you to do. I have a plan and a purpose for you, you know, to now do good for the people of God and to lead them into victory as well. And so the Lord is looking today for those he can grant authority to in his kingdom, to demonstrate his power, to, to set the captives free. And as we have seen, authority comes from submission. You know, we, we see that with Christ, even when he was a young man, starting to come into that place of authority, you know, and he was amazing, the lawyers and doctors in the temple, and his parents found him. And it says in Luke 2, verse 51, it says, Then he went down with them to, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. You know, even the king of kings submitted to his you know, natural authority, you could, you could say. And so we want to make that our prayers. We're considering Moses the role model. You know, is that we cry out to God that we might be men and women fully under his authority. You know, that we can flow with the authority of the Spirit as He would lead us. Because those are the ones who will demonstrate His power. That was the first sign. The second one is, you know, we, we can read in Exodus 4 and verse 6, it was leprosy. Right? And so the Lord said, uh, in Exodus 4, 6, the Lord said, Furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thine bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, white as snow. And, you know, of course, then he put it back in and it was made whole again, which I'm sure he was grateful for. Uh, but, it, you know, what's interesting is this leprosy is a symbol of sin, you know, of, and the judgment that comes upon those who sin. Of course, we know 
uh, Miriam became leprous because of her rebellion against Moses. She wouldn't submit. She didn't get the first one, you know, uh, to his authority. But many others, several others in, in Scripture were judged with leprosy. And, you know, it's this also this thought of, you know, kind of flows with the thought of authority, but really it's the thought of having authority over sin, authority over sin. And, and this is very important and, and significant for believers, especially those who desire to be in the Moses camp, uh, so to speak, is to recognize God wants to bring us to a place where we have authority over sin, you know, and and of course, it's not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of, of others. And really, that's the, play, that's the message and the place we want to minister from, from the place of victory over sin. Now, there was a story Pastor Bailey shared in his book, one of his books, and it was a deliverance service. And there was a certain lady who was filled with a demon of pride. And I think everyone knew that. It was very evident. And so here, the pastor's trying to kind of gently minister to her and lead her to a place of deliverance. But there was one zealous young, young man who just walked up to the lady and, and he said, in the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of pride to go out. And at that moment, something interesting happened. Well, the demon spoke through the lady and gave him a response. And he said, I'm not going to come out for you because there's more pride in you than there is in her. And so here was this young man trying to, to minister deliverance to this lady, but he, he couldn't. Why was that? Because he was trying to minister from a place of weakness. And in fact, he had a greater weakness than this lady had. You know, true power and authority comes when we, we can share Christ from a place of victory. And that victory comes through the cross. Now, I think we can understand we're all going to retain our, our, our sin nature until we pass on into eternity. But the goal of Christ is to give us victory over that nature to where it has no power over us. And of course, the ultimate goal is for it to be on the cross with Christ to where we can say, I've been crucified with Christ and I can reckon myself dead to that and alive to Jesus. But that, that thought of the cross and, and getting victory over sin, is actually, it's actually not just seen at, at Jordan, you know, speaking of the crucified life, it's really seen throughout the journey. And it's that thought of the cross, you know, in our journey that each step as we respond to God and obey, it's victory after victory. It's one level of victory to another level, to another level. At least that's how it should be, right? With Israel on their journey, they just kept going from one, one, one defeat to another level of defeat to another, and they, they failed all their 10 tests. They kept rejecting. You know, one time they came to a place of Marah where the waters were bitter, and, G and the Lord showed them what the, uh, what the answer was. You know, well, they, com they complained bitterly at the bitter waters, but the solution that the Lord showed Moses was a tree. And they were to cast that tree into the bitter waters and they would be made sweet. And of course, Jesus was the one that was hung on the tree for us. And so what is the solution 
for the, the bitter experiences that we walk through that, that take place because of the nature within us. It's the cross. And as we embrace the cross, He can make our nature sweet. What was formerly bitter and, and so forth. You know, it's the cross that will give us the authority and power to minister in His name. And that, that's the sign and the miracle that He desires to work in the Moses company. Power over sin and victory over sin through the cross. Now one last, as we'll close with this, because we know the, the third sign was Moses turning water into blood. In Exodus 4 and verse 9, it says, It came to pass, he said, if, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto your voice, that thou shalt take the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which you take out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And so the sign of water being turned into blood was shown to Israel. You know, we know that was also one of the judgments that came upon uh, Egypt. The Nile would be turned to, uh, the waters of the Nile would be turned to blood and, and so forth. But, but it's, you know, blood really speaks of vitality and life. You know, it's through the blood of Christ that our sins are, are washed away. And it's actually, it's interesting when you consider the tabernacle of Moses, when you look at the tabernacle, the blood was required in every section of the tabernacle. You know, it was required throughout. And that's very obvious in the, in the outer court. That's where the sacrifices were taking place, right? It, I mean, it was a bloody place in the, in the outer court. But it represents the sacrifice of, of Christ that covers and cleanses our sins. But then in the holy place, each article of furniture was sanctified by the sprinkling of the blood, right? And so in the, in the holy place, it, it speaks of being sanctified and set apart for the master's use. But in the most holy place, right, the high priest was not to enter without the blood. And, you know, it would be sprinkled for himself and for the people. And or Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews 9, verse 7. It says, but into the second part, which was the most holy place, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. And we can read in, in Leviticus 16 how the high priest was commanded to come within the veil and, and you know, with the blood sacrifices and sprinkle it upon the ark. And so, you know, there's a picture that we can see here that those who are empowered to walk in the way of Moses in that example, you know, are done, they're empowered by the blood. You know, in the Old Testament, the way was limited. You know, the high priest could come in once a year. But in the New Testament, it's the blood of Christ that's made the way for us to enter within the veil so that we can live and minister into his presence. And, you know, when you think about it, in the, in the Old Testament, there's only two people in the Old Testament who had this ministry of coming within the veil, who, who could come continually, where it was open to them. That was Moses and David. Those were the only two. And, and, and even though, you know, especially Moses is the lawgiver, I mean, in one sense, he's a type of the Old Testament, but he's also a type of the New. But he's, he's one who could come into the presence of God, and he dwelled in his presence. And, you know, he ministered from the presence of God. 
And that's, that's the example that God is giving to us as the church of the last day, that the true power and the true manifestation of His power comes from those who are able to go within the veil and minister from that place. And that's the true secret to power in God and ministering. And, and really, it's, it's twofold. I'll close with this thought. You know, it's twofold in ministering from within the veil. You know, because within the veil, we know, was the ark. And in the ark were the, were the law, the table of stone, table of stones. And, you know, that, that speaks of the law being written upon our hearts. You know, there's a, but there's a difference you know, in ancient times, they could write on papyrus and so forth, but there's a difference between, it, between something being written on paper and something being engraven on stones. In fact, I just watched a documentary last night how they found this 2,500-year-old uh, papyrus, and they had to handle it. They found it in a tomb. They were handling it so gently because they didn't know if it was going to fall apart in their fingers. But then they, then they picked up this stone that was engraved with, you know, and they were just kind of carrying it around. They had no worry that they were going to lose what was written on there because it was engraved on stone. And so there's that, that difference, you know, of God can, can put something within our hearts and minds and it can be there and we can love it, but yet it's another thing for it to be engraved, for it to be worked. You know, and so we, that needs to be our cry. Lord, don't just write your words in my mind, you know, because I love his law. I love his words. I appreciate it. But yet the difference is, Lord, engrave it upon my heart, which speaks of a, of a life transformed, a life that's changed and aligned to the word or to the cornerstone. And then what, one last thought. There's, but the other aspect of ministering from the holy place is the mercy seat, because that covered the law, that sat on top of it. And, you know, we can fall short if we only minister from the place of the law, right? I mean, because we see people who are falling short and we say, well, they're falling short of the law. They deserve judgment. But really, when we're ministering from the, from the most holy place, it's because we're connected to the heart of God, and the highest aspect of his heart is mercy. You know, there have been a few times in my ministry where if I had literally been holding tables of stone, I might have thrown them down in frustration <laughs> because of the situation and, you know, the things I was dealing with. But that's one of the lessons of Moses, right? It's, it's Lord, connect me to your heart of mercy, to have mercy and as you have mercy. Of course, that's what we know. Mercy is God's prerogative. He'll have mercy upon whom he will. And so that's why principle doesn't work in the most holy place. We have to be connected to the heart of God and connected to his heart of mercy. And so God will have mercy upon whom he will. And I think God is going to show a lot of mercy in the days to come because he wants to restore so many people into his presence. And we need to have that Father's heart of mercy put within us. But that only comes as we enter within the veil through his blood and allow him to work within us the truths of his most holy place where the law has been engraved upon our hearts. 
And so we're seeing just a few of the lessons of uh, Moses as a role model for the church of the last days because God is coming to empower his church. Not just with revival power. You know, we're going to see the, the power of God flowing in many places, but he wants to raise up a Moses company who can display his power through a life that's been transformed. And these three examples we saw because they've been transformed through authority. They've come into the authority of Christ because they have learned to come under the authority of the Spirit of God and being led wherever the, the Lamb would lead them. They've come into a authority over sin because they've defeated the nature of sin through in the, within them through the power of Christ. And that through His blood and His sacrifice, they've been enabled to go within the veil and to have that law written upon the fleshly tables of their hearts and connect to the heart of God, which is a heart of mercy. And Lord, we see these examples, Lord, and we, we look to you, Lord, that you would do a work in your people. Lord, make us, Lord, that company of Moses, Lord, that we could enter into these truths and experience them. Oh, Lord, as you desire in these last days, Lord, cause us to be those who would come under the authority of your spirit, that you would lead us, oh God, and guide us, and that we would be those who you could lead wherever you would, and that, Lord, you would just, Lord, even come in a fresh way. Lord, we, we face challenges in our nature and things we have to overcome and strongholds, but we're looking to the one who has obtained victory, that we could obtain victory, and that, Lord, you would lead us, that our our nature of sin would be upon the cross with you and would have no power over us. And that by your blood, Lord, you would lead us within the veil. Oh, and that you would cause your word and your law to be written upon our hearts that we could be connected to your heart in heaven and have your heart of mercy, we pray. Oh Lord, do this within us. Raise up, Lord, a chosen people that could walk in the, in the example of Moses in this day. And then in the days to come, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.